Hey, Hi, hello, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Akram, one of the intensivists at HPMC. And also, I specialize in internal med uh, in medicine, infectious disease, and nephrology. Uh, kind of oh. rare. Hello. Dr. So Dr. Akram, uh, yes. this is called the clinical scoop and uh, welcome. Uh, we have Dan and Monica with us here and they're going to be showing us some slide about uh, new studies in, for COVID-19 and okay. we'll try to discuss it and give more information for the audience in this uh, uh, audience in this meeting and to see. This is the first okay. study about anticoagulation in critically ill patient with COVID-19. Yes. It is very important, I think, in particularly in this particular disease. Uh, I always use a therapeutic dose and full anticoagulation uh, as if I'm treating DVT or PE. Uh, this is very, very relevant study for the COVID-19 because they found out in China in Wahoon when they were treating the patient with anticoagulation, their survival is much better. Now they, uh, in the United States, they're trying to put a clinical trial for that and comparing different doses of anticoagulation. Mm. Uh, they found out that using enoxaparin uh, uh, or Lovonox uh, subcutaneously as uh, in different dosing, as 0.5 milligram per kilogram for every 12 hour versus every 24 hours to compare the survival mm. for, the, for the patient. The, uh, end, uh, the primary outcome uh, measurement they want to see, they want to see in, the intensivist, in the intensive care unit setting mm. the 30 day mortality rate. Secondary outcome of the study is length of the intensive care unit if using the anticoagulation will be shorter and number of uh, uh, video yes. occlusive events that yeah. happen in this. Uh, okay, so that's the main study. I think it's a valuable study and this is very helpful study for the population uh, that uh, get affected by COVID-19 and for, uh, for the medical field in general and treating in, and exactly. dealing with. What do you think, I, Dr. Akram? I agree with you. In fact, I read some postmodern studies of COVID cases and they were surprised to find so much of clots and uh, it's also inflammation of the endothelium, vascular inflammation is very uh, common and rampant in COVID-19. So I think it'll be a valuable study and also uh, I think we need to anticoagulate these patients for sure. I think that a problem with the anti the problem in the anticoagulation is that's the bleeding, and as a physician, you need to weigh the risk of the bleeding to the risk of benefit of anticoagulation on these yeah. uh, on these patients. I think Dr. Akram have a lot of experience with this through his patient in the intensive care unit and dealing with the uh, bleeding in the ventilator or off the ventilator. Yeah. So what I generally say is that bleeding can be controlled, but the clot can kill you without even have a chance to do anything about it. I have seen patients who had stroke and MIs uh, and at the same time COVID, uh, maybe COVID made them worse, uh, made generated more clots and that can happen as well. But in general, I would definitely, there is a risk for bleeding when you start full anticoagulation, 
but I think the risk for clotting and that causing events are more life-threatening. What do you think about the What do you think about the design of this particular study? Would you know, as a doctor, if you were offered this study in your hospital, would you take it, or what? Like, what is your? Do you have any complaints about this kind of study? Well, so the different doses of anticoagulation uh, is, uh, and there are different medications people have used. For example people are using new oral anticoagulants as, as well. So in this situation, it is good study to compare one or the other. Uh, we have done that in atrial fibrillation and a couple of other uh, diseases. Um, I don't know how this will pan out in COVID-19. So this is new knowledge for sure. And it's, uh, every and we are learning so much about this disease, the hundreds and hundreds aspects of it. And I think this is one aspect I definitely would look forward to the results. Uh, Dan, I think this study is done well, or, uh, well uh, it's done very well, and the randomization between uh, one medication in different doses, which is the Lovonax, in yeah. comparison to other medication like Argotroban uh, and uh, Lovonax and Fendexopinex, and 30 okay. days, you're saying 30 days is the outcome, right? And I think that's yes. reasonable, 30 days. But I feel that uh, the it may also be, the events may occur beyond 30 days as well. Uh, so I'm sure somebody may be following up on that study if six months or so, I suppose. Yeah, I think so, it's six months follow-up. And, uh, yeah. and it, this is also phase four study. So Yeah, yeah. Because I see that after effects are still going to be there uh, in a COVID situation in this particular disease. Yeah. You know, oftentimes for studies, the criticism that a lot of clinical research studies get is that the inclusion exclusion criteria is not realistic of the real world. So mm -hmm. from this one, I mean, I, the inclusion seems uh, pretty easy, but the exclusion, do you find any issues with the exclusion of this yes. particular study? Yeah, can you just read a little bit for me from the slides? What the what that's yeah, objectively documented a deep vein thrombosis or pulmonary embolism. These are all the exclusions. Uh, patients in whom there is a very high suspicion for pulmonary embolism and and are on full dose anticoagulation uh, platelets yeah. of less than thirty thousand, not due to. Uh, to DIC uh, based yeah. on the International Society and then active bleeding that possesses a contraindication to therapeutic anticoagulation, yeah. history of bleeding uh, diathesis, so yeah. history of intracranial hemorrhage in the last 90 days, history of stroke in two weeks, uh, major yeah. neurological procedure in the past 30 days, cardiothoracic surgery in the past 30 days, intra-abdominal surgery in the past 30 yeah. days, intracranial malignancy, Patients who require therapeutic anticoagulant for other reasons like atrial fibrillation. Yeah. Anything wrong with those or that's pretty well, good for the I, real world? All of those appear great, but in the real world situation, one thing I may say about that observation is patients come to the hospital and they have a clot, they have a DVT, and then we start anticoagulation in general. So what you're doing you when you exclude those is kind of slightly more, you're trying to show that uh, you have to prevent the DVT events. 
So that decreases the, I think the power, you might have to have a power of the study might be decreased. You might have to have a more a number of patients. Might be you might need more. Yeah. Uh, so if you if you say if you include the patients who have a DVT, it's okay to me. It's not bad because once you start heparin lovnox, immediately the clot starts stops growing, and that itself is a proof that it's working. And uh, I, I I would not have worried if they included some patients with DVT, but. Uh, yeah. It just decreases the strength of the study and a lot of number of people that we may need to, to prove that. Yeah, see, it's not that surprising. We'll go to the next study, but it's not that surprising because yeah. that's clinic, one of clinical research's biggest criticisms is the inclusion-exclusion criteria is not reflective of the real world. And so a lot of new doctors, when they're new to research, they always tell the sponsor, yeah, you know, we can enroll 100 patients because they don't pay attention to inclusion-exclusion. And then yeah. when they're doing the study, they, that 100 patients becomes five patients. And now the sponsor is worried why they're not enrolling more. Yeah. And so that this is, is because, the problem. Yeah, yeah. Everything else is, is all we do except one of that, what I that's my observation that will help that will kind of make it more difficult for you to really prove the at the end so yep so dr al what can you see the screen here for this second study or monica yeah. what do you guys yeah, think about this one yeah, yeah I, I, I asked monica to read a little bit for me but i can open up yeah yeah this is a phase two trial of infliximab uh, yeah. in coronavirus yeah. uh, this is, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm so, looking at it now. So. Yeah, so this one is, uh, we have hypothesized that early institution of uh, TNFA inhibitor uh, therapy mm. in patients with severe COVID-19 infections will prevent further clinical deteriorations and reduce one second <laughs> this part i, I can't yeah, read I think it I'm back. my video was this one is only yeah. this one is interesting only 17 participants 17 they want yeah. so interventional oh. this is only going to be one site the other study was 180 mm -hmm. patients uh, mm -hmm. and only on one site that was cornell we forgot to give them a, a mention cornell this one uh -huh. is uh anybody can contact them too their email is there this one too we can call Christian Lawler and ask him questions, but he's from Tufts, uh, from Tufts oh. Medical Center. Uh, so he's the uh, contact, and uh, the PI is Dr. Matthew at Tufts. Um, what do you yeah, remind me IE? again. Uh, remind me again. Infliximab is going against a one which medicine for now, or is just uh, I tell me a little bit about infliximab. Uh, all patients enrolled in this trial will be assigned to infliximab arm. Patients will be what treated. What about the other control arm? They, they, are, going to they are going to, to compare two different uh, um, doses of uh, infliximab. Yeah, but what about infliximab alone versus uh, tocilizumab or remdesivir? Is there anything else that is no. there to compare? No, no Dr. Akram. No, not in this study. No, not in this study. And uh, they suggest that interleukin-6 or inhibitors or something decreases the inflammation and it might work. That's why. So Mainly, what is, Dr. Akram, they're looking for the oxygenation of the patient as the primary end result no, of the study. 
outcome is the time to improvement of oxygenation time from 28 days. Ah, uh, by inhibiting the TNF alpha, I see. Exactly, as Remakid used. So, uh, you know, I have noticed uh, that uh, definitely when the COVID was at its peak, like in March and April, we tried everything, but the oxygenation did not uh, improve and a lot of the patients died. But uh, there, uh, and there is definitely uh, a time pattern which is slightly different from ARDS due to bacterial infections, other sepsis, definitely. Uh, that may, uh, I think has changed now since we started Remdesivir. So I'm just looking at it because this is such a fast moving field right now because everybody is doing a study. So are we going to compare it with the historical controls? Are we going to compare with whom? I don't know because previous ARDS has a different timeline of oxygenation improvement. So, What do you think about the design of this study using Remacade by itself in different dosage for controlling the oxygenation or improving the oxygenation within 28 days of the patient? Hospitalization, who's on the ventilator or in acute respiratory, this ARDS, acute respiratory. This but do we, do we know that Remicade alone uh, will change, uh, improve oxygenation in COVID patients? And if it does, how, how long does it take? We don't know that. We don't have the baseline data, isn't it? I know, but, but as a, a TNF, uh, tumor necrosis factor inhibitor, and mm. affecting on the cytokine crisis that happened right. in COVID patient, they found some response in it, but they don't have enough data to say how long does it stay mm. or how long does it last and does it improve? And that's what they're running the study. So Now, uh, does, is there objective data such as CRP? Has the CRP gone down with Remicade? Because I've seen that happen, uh, but that uh, that still doesn't uh, decrease the oxygenation. Though I've seen many patients with CRP came down from 36 to two, 2.5, 4 almost, and then uh, then but the oxygenation did not improve. So I'm though I'm kind of a little bit not so sure if you give one dose A versus dose B. It may be a too early for that kind of study, but that's just my opinion. But you know, yeah, there's definitely a lot of these studies. Uh, what about the exclusion criteria? Is this more? Uh, Tell me about the exclusion. I can uh, see some. You can read a little bit also. Treatment, treatment with any TNFA inhibitor in past 30 days, uh, known hypersensitivity to any TNFA inhibitor, murine proteins, or any component of the formulation. Presence of any of the following abnormal lab values at screening A and C less than 1,000. Hemoglobin, uh, I can't see it here. Less than uh, eight. Less than, mm -hmm. Known active or latent hepatitis B. Uh, mm -hmm. Known or suspective uh, tuberculosis or, or history of incompletely treated or latent TB. Pregnancy, of course. Intubated for more than 48 hours is an exclusion. Um, why, 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 I don't know why we would want to exclude people <laughs> because uh, 48 hours, what you're looking at is the rate of improvement of oxygen. So yep. between you can go from day to, let's say you start a study on Monday 
and you're looking on, let's say, three days, 72 hours later, and you look at oxygenation or a PF ratio, whatever you want to look at, and you say from within 72 hours, it came down by 10 points, or, I mean, went up by 10 points. So you would look at divide by rate. So if you're looking at the rate, I wouldn't worry about uh, really uh, excluding as, uh, I would rather include everybody. Why do you think they put that there? I, I, I don't know because uh, maybe they think that it is too much for inflammation and the patients are too sick for that, as I suppose. Mm. But that's not what we're looking at, right? We're looking at the rate and sicker the patient, uh, it doesn't matter. It's just the rate. Maybe, maybe actually it's, those are the patients that might, it may be beneficial, actually. Right. So, but, yeah. But that's I'm not, another example of real world versus research is kind of different things sometimes. Yeah. The yeah. next one is fungal infections, uh, uncontrolled, and then serious comorbidity. So they're excluding any serious comorbidity, including a myocardial infraction within the last month, moderate or severe heart failure, acute stroke within last month, uh, uncontrolled malignancy, or stage four chronic kidney disease requiring yeah. dialysis. So you most this MI and stroke I told you earlier about patients who may have MI and stroke about the same time as COVID. Actually, mm -hmm. COVID is generating those, not like one month earlier. I haven't seen a patient who had MI like a month or two months earlier because they never came to the hospital during the peak period. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, actually, COVID is causing this MI and stroke. So I, I, I would say it's part of COVID-19 disease. You know, so that's a good point because now you're going to have all these patients in the hospital before they are screened. So yeah. if COVID is triggering a MI or a stroke, while they're in include, the hospital. I would include that. I would treat the disease. I mean, we are treating it yeah. with anticoagulation. With the, anyway, we have proved that it causes thrombosis in the, uh, even in the basic science studies in, pathogen, in, in the uh, postmortem studies or examination. So yeah. uh, I would say, you know, if you can recommend that maybe that's uh, not necessary to exclude so many people who actually might benefit from it. So we're kind of, uh, kind of making ourselves limited and, uh, and make it harder for the study to really proceed and give you information on the real world situation. Yeah, it's interesting how they design these studies for the biostat, biostats yeah. Uh, yeah. in mind uh, before I'm, I'm, it's designed. I'm, hope, I'm hoping I'm not giving you too many points that are negative, but, um, you know. No, these no, are not my studies. So I agree. <laughs> <laughs> this is the case in most studies, doctor. You'll I'm see. not that. I'm not that pessimistic when it comes to studies. So <laughs> that's a good point because you know when doctors do research on their own, they yeah. get offered these studies. They think that the inclusion exclusion is going to reflect their real world population, and usually it doesn't. And there's yeah. a trend. Yeah, so it, it, it more it reflects more the politics. That's right. That's right. Some of this, <laughs> how you can get through the IRB and all of that. Exactly. But some of these IRBs, I mean, you know, the more inclusionary they are, the better, the, the more ethical it would be, right? But I yeah, don't know. I mean, you can make an argument like I was thinking in these two studies. If you yeah. can. Yeah. And the third one, well, Monica, you want to, Monica or Dr. Al, you want to go through this one? The third one. High tier anti SARS CoV 2 plasma in hospitalized patients. Uh, mm. What do you guys think? Yes, uh, see, I have 
used plasma, and I'm talking about real-world situation because I haven't collected the data and analyzed it myself yet. Mm. Uh, but this study is good, that, uh, and it has worked in the prior uh, situations like other viruses, SARS, uh, uh, Ebola. But uh, the, the problem is we don't know when the COVID occurred, who gave the plasma, and we don't know how long the antibodies last, and we don't know how many antibodies that a person makes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And all of those are variables. So I haven't found a consistent response uh, after giving plasma. And, and now we had a very small interval of time when there was only COVID plasma available, but not remdesivir. But nowadays we are just giving COVID plasma, remdesivir, dexamethasone, all multiple, all at the same time. And maybe to see some changes we are seeing, but I don't know how much of it is COVID plasma. And I, I guess it's going to be uh, not, pers- cons- not consistent and because it's just we don't know how many antibodies. Some people may have only minimal antibodies. Who knows? And they may not even survive. What do you think, Dr. Al, about this? Uh, you know, I think it's already, it's already done in Wahoo, China, and they found that like a good response for the... Yeah, I- for this, for this kind of uh, serum, a plasma for the patient who had, who's severely ill in the ICUs. But as Dr. Akram said, how much each patient can require and how much each body exactly. can produce. We are, we are only produce giving two. And, yeah. We don't know. And then uh, a few days back, uh, there was some uh, investigation which suggested that the antibodies may be finite. So if somebody had an infection in January and he donated the blood in, say, April, I don't know if that has enough antibodies. But we, but a lot of these are there. A lot of these uh, real-world challenges in actually identifying the quantitating the antibodies are there. So, mm. but, but I would always add it. I don't stop it. Like, I'm just giving it to everybody just because even if it gives an edge a little bit, like, something. Because it's proven to work in other viruses situations. So. So this is already being done uh, outside of research. You're doing this in the private setting. Yeah, I'm giving COVID plasma plus uh, mm-hmm. whatever I available. I'm, we are just piling up, adding on one after the other. Yeah. I, I think we're doing it in, in, in the community setting now for the patient that really severely ill and if there is any, to see if there is any outcome we can get from them. It's not uh, gathered data or it's not uh, mm. something under clinical trial. But I think it's worth it because of this emerging field of COVID-19 now. And I was just thinking, to... I was thinking, let's say like some people have ID, uh, like perfusion centers, like hematology have like infusion centers. I think we should, we could do it in a patient who are less sicker. I don't know. I mean, that is something we can try. Dexamethasone plus COVID plasma, outpatient setting. For a uh, the, Dr. Dr. Akram, I tried to do this in, the, uh-huh. in my clinic here, uh-huh. but uh-huh. It's, it have a lot of regulation because it's a, a blood product. Ah, and blood a product. lot of, uh, it have to go through a lot of, uh, outside yes. the hospital, have to go through a lot of uh, authority to be approved. Okay, you oh, need to be I like see. similar yes. to blood bank unit. 
to be able to do this in your clinic. Uh, but in the hospital, because, into that. Yeah. yeah, but in the hospital, because you already have a license for blood bank, you can do it in the hospital as you're doing it now for COVID-19 patient yeah. in the intensive care unit. Right, right. Well, I'm using it. I think it works, but I cannot show you the, I cannot tell between the differences between uh, when we were giving only COVID plasma plus uh, uh, other medications. It, we, we, I didn't know how much was it, COVID plasma causing it. So nevertheless, I would always, I think I will, I will use it. So yes. this will be a study that you will be interested on doing, doctor? Regarding with COVID plasma? Yeah. Uh, I would be interested, but before that, I would like to do a little bit quantitative measurements of how much plasma, how much antibodies does that plasma have? Would it be fair to say that's what is needed? So what... What would be like your ideal? You're a hospitalist. Uh, I'm assuming your hospital, do, does your hospital do studies as well? Uh, we don't do the studies yet, but we, because of the COVID-19, we are interested in doing some. Okay. So what would be like uh, for, for COVID-19 from all that you've done and seen so far, what would be your ideal study that you would be most interested and, and exploring further? Well, um, because of my interest in uh, critical care that we were doing, I was interested in really seeing the changes in oxygenation or and how we are changing that. That's one of the things that I was interested in. And um, there are a couple of things. We have, we've just begun to gather data, but we haven't really come across a study that uh, is we we you know get everybody together on the same page yet so but yeah. there, I believe there are hundreds of aspects still unexplored in COVID nineteen and people will be writing uh, a huge book by the end of next year in one year <laughs> it's just, yeah yeah so any study even if we even you can just pick one study and just look at for example. Uh, uh, any, just look at any system. For example, how it involves the brain. Somebody said there are three stages of involvement, stage one, two, and three. And then some are now focusing, like six months later, there's still some cognitive changes. And then there are study on the heart. Uh, there's, you know, it's, it's the ACE inhibitor, uh, the ACE receptors are extensively present in the, in, the, in the lung as well as in the heart. So, so you know, we could measure the cardiac index outputs. We could actually uh, do some direct uh, attack on the ACE uh, and ARB inhibitors in the lung, which we haven't done at all. There is no way to, I have seen that so far, we haven't really changed the way the lung appears on the X-ray uh, because the inflammation we are not able to take, get rid of yet. So I don't know if there's something that we can do directly by infusion, or doing some bronchoscopy and figuring out the quantitative uh, amount of virus in the, in, within the lung and how it can be directly uh, attacked. So those are things that I have in mind, but right now I'm, I don't have any uh, specific person or a group that came forward yet. So. Yeah. 
Well, maybe that's where uh, Dr. Al and Monica and Republic of Research help out <laughs> at some point. The goal, the yeah. goal is to help doctors do studies, make yeah. it easier for doctors to do studies. Um, yeah. That's the mission. So, you know. yeah, good, good. Yeah, I think you guys have really good points. Um, I am actually interested in doing uh, such kind of clinical research, uh, and uh, uh, so we'll be happy to continue and keep in touch and see where we can go. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll have yeah. you on again. We'll have you on again as well um, to discuss more about COVID and your experiences. Now we're in the middle of July for everybody yeah. watching later. So yeah. what do you think? Yeah. Second wave coming or what? what is your expectations here? Mm, well, second wave will come. This particular virus is not just like flu. It's probably here to stay a little longer and may require multiple aspects. Uh, may require a treatment with multiple medications and attacking at different points of its life cycle. And uh, so this is going to be a long-term situation. We'll see what happens. Okay. Thank uh, you very much, doctor. We appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, as well, Dr. Al, you. Monica. Thank you. All right, Monica. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Dr. Akram. Thank we appreciate you, you guys. Have Thank a good you. day. Thank you. Now I have.